Well, good evening. We're glad you guys are here with us. We are continuing our series called Better Together. And the premise, if you're a member of this series, is rediscovering the value of community to our faith. And there are things that we do individually and communally. For example, in our first week, we talked about prayer. We talked about our community prayer and then how we could pray the scriptures. And last week, we talked about worship. It's something we do individually to God, but it's something that we do together. And in this lesson, we want to talk about lament. Because the Psalms are rich and full of lament. And just a few moments, Todd's going to talk to us a little bit about that. So this evening, what we're going to do is, in just a moment, Caleb and Mark and David and Josh are going to lead us and help us to participate in some singing, some worship to God. And we're going to talk about this idea, this deep, rich idea of lament in the Psalms. And then we're going to walk through an exercise, if you will, something I think that's going to enrich your prayer life together. And that's what we're going to do this evening. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. We want to dive more deeply into your word. We want in community to more richly worship you. I pray that you'd open our hearts to your scripture, to your word, to your Holy Spirit tonight and that we would take these things and put them into practice in our lives. We love you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Well, good evening, everyone. Why don't we stand together as we're just going to sing some hymns that we all know, and uh, I'd love for you all just to sing along.
one more time. When peace like a so much for this evening that you've just let us gather here together. Thank you for this time of worship that we've had, and I just pray that you'll open our ears and our hearts to the teaching tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good evening. How are you guys? So we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul. And I promise this is not a mean trick, but I'm about to talk about how it is not well with my soul. How many of y'all have, have been to a class or heard a sermon on the topic of lament before? Show it, raise of hands. A couple of you? Oh, that doesn't count. That was the one I did. <laughs> uh, lament is a topic that we have greatly neglected in the church. It is a part of the Christian life uh, that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, and there's a lot of different reasons why that is. But we're going to take tonight and just kind of park it here on this concept of lament. And I'm going to ask that you would, um, as we engage some, some scriptures and, and some prayers, and as we look at just some of the construction of what a, a lament is, I would ask you to be mindful of, you know, maybe this is a time in your life where things are going pretty well, where things are pretty good, life's great, um, and that's awesome. We, we celebrate that. We're, we're to praise and be excited when things are good. We're to praise when things are bad. You may know somebody in your life right now, though, that's going through a really difficult time. And, and maybe that's you as well. Maybe you faced some significant challenges this year, maybe in a relationship or in a job or in an occupation, and maybe you're struggling to know how in the world am I supposed to walk out my faith during the season of my life? Maybe you've been asking the question, where is God in the middle of this crisis that has become my life? This maybe disaster, or maybe this horrific sense of pain that I'm experiencing, where is God? The good news is, if you are in that place, you're not the first person to ever ask those questions. And in fact, the questions that you're asking are incredibly biblical. They're all throughout both the Old and New Testament. And so if, if this is your first time to Crossings, um, if this is your first time to a Wednesday night talk, um, first I'd like to apologize. It's going to be a little heavy. Uh, but I think the heaviness of this topic actually provides some incredible hope. And we're going to talk about why that is. I want to share an example of a modern-day lament with you guys. And I want to read this prayer. This is actually a, a journal entry. Um, so, so listen along as, as I share. 
my own dear Jesus, they say people in hell suffer eternal pain because of the loss of God. They would go through all that suffering if they had just a little hope of possessing God. In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Jesus, please forgive my blasphemies. I've been told to be honest and write everything down. That darkness surrounds me on all sides. I can't lift my soul to God. In my heart, there is no faith, no love, no trust. There is so much pain, the pain of longing, the pain of not being wanted. I want God with all the powers of my soul, and yet there between us, there is a terrible separation. I don't pray any longer. This is a prayer of somebody that is wrestling deeply with their faith. And if it sounds familiar to you, it's actually taken from the journals of Mother Teresa. Somebody who is a, an icon of the faith. Somebody who is known for her faithfulness. But then we see this side of her wrestling. We see this side of her journey. And it kind of throws us off a little bit. How could she do such incredible things and yet at the same time be wrestling with such a disconnect with God? With such a struggle to understand, where's God in my life? I can't sense him. I can't feel him. So my role here at Crossings is uh, I'm one of the counselors in our life care ministry. And so, you know, I work with people individually and I work with couples and families. And then I help coordinate our uh, support and recovery groups. And day in and day out, I sit with people that are wrestling in very similar ways that Mother Teresa is wrestling. And maybe that's because their marriage has fallen apart. Maybe that's because they've lost a child um, or lost some significant thing in their life. And those seasons prompt us to ask hard questions. Lament gives us a language to engage those seasons well. So that's Mother Teresa. Um, she struggles in that journal, struggles to connect with God. But I wanted to give you a, uh, an example from Scripture, and it's there on your little handout. We're not going to read this whole thing. Last time I tried to read it, I, I couldn't get through it. started getting choked up. So we'll see what happens this time. But this is Psalms 88. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit and the darkest depths. I promise I'm not trying to recruit you guys for counseling. I know this is kind of heavy. It's kind of intense. But this is the psalmist struggling through an intense time in his life. It's a lament. Psalms 88 is one of the harder laments in Scripture. Um, it's long for one, and two, it doesn't resolve at the end. Um, so we'll talk about that here in a second. But we ask the question, why does, it, why does lament matter? Why should lament be a topic that we discuss in church, that we kind of reintroduce to the common Christian vernacular as a part of the Christian life? Um, Here's what we're going to try to cover, and I'm going to suggest tonight. Number one, lament is biblical, and it's an integral part of the Christian life. It's a biblical concept. It's a biblical practice. Number two, lament is engaged by the faithful 
in Scripture. So when you look in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, it's actually the most faithful characters in our Scripture that engage lament. Moses does. David does, like 38 times. Uh, there's uh, many other leaders. Jesus in the New Testament engages the practice of lament, actually quoting an Old Testament lament. So lament is engaged by the faithful, not by those who lack faith. It's a common misunderstanding. Number three, lament is a part of a journey towards healing in response to struggle, difficulty, and chaos. I'm not exactly sure um, where the idea came from that, and, and this is one that I've somewhere bought into early on in my Christian faith. I grew up in the church, my dad's a pastor, my grandfather's a pastor, and somewhere along the way, I, I, I had this belief form within, within my heart and within my belief system that if I follow God, life's gonna be great and easy. If I'm obedient, then I'm gonna be blessed, and I'm gonna pretty much, how I define being blessed was, being blessed by God means I get everything I want, when I want it, in the way that I want it, in, in, a, in a manner that I think fits my desire. But when you read scripture and you look at the characters, the heroes of our faith, their life was anything but that. It was challenged. Many of them were killed, lost their families, lost their fortunes. Uh, the, the Christian life pursuing Christ had a great cost to it. And so lament helps speak to our hearts and give us a language to engage when we're, on the, when we're in those challenging times for the purpose of connecting us to God. One of the most powerful things that I think can happen when you're in a a really difficult situation is being honest with God with where you're at. It's one of the things I love about what I get to do is I get to sit with people in a room and help them be honest with God with the things that they're struggling with. Because when we're honest about where we really are rather than where we should be, we begin to heal, we begin to grow, we begin to address the issues in our life. So lament connects us to God. This is a quote from a book uh, called Hurting with God, Learning to Lament uh, with the Psalms. It's a book that I took um, some of the research in this talk from tonight. I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's, an, it's excellently organized. It's a great book. But Glenn Pemberton says, in the Psalms, it is not those who lack faith who lament, but those, who, but those recognized for strong faith who bring their most honest and passionate feelings to God. Okay? So it's those who are faithful that actually engage the practice of lament. So what is lament? Used as a noun, lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Uh, it's a song, a piece of music or poem expressing sorrow as a verb. Uh, to lament means to mourn, uh, to express one's deep grief, uh, or to express regret or disappointment, okay? Um, some examples in scripture. Uh, some scholars believe the oldest recorded lament is in 2 Samuel 1, where David is lamenting the death uh, of Saul and Jonathan, his dear friends. Uh, we've got a whole book dedicated to lament, Lamentations. Anybody read that this morning in their quiet time? No? All right, okay. And then, of course, the Psalms, which we're, which we're talking about tonight and discussing this evening. So a, a quick review on, on the book of Psalms. Uh, so the Psalms is divided up into sections, and these sections kind of uh, reflect the structure of the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in these sections of the Psalms, there's different kinds or different categories of hymns and, and psalms that are described like this. So there's praise psalms. There's psalms that are um, geared and focused on trust, expressing trust. There's wisdom psalms, royal psalms, and then lament psalms, which we're discussing tonight. 
So if you look at this uh, little, I guess, image of the book of Psalms, in the far right corner is a section uh, that, that represents the amount of lament that is in Scripture. And if you look at it compared to some of the other sections of Scripture, there is a lot of lament psalms in the book of Psalms. So roughly 40% of the psalms are laments, roughly 40%. So there's 150 uh, verses in Psalms, I believe. So a huge number, 150 chapters, about 60 chapters are, are geared towards lamenting. So uh, in the book that Glenn Pemberton wrote, he cited a study, a group did a comparative analysis of what's in the Psalms and what's in our modern day hymn books. So the, the book of Psalms, Psalms translates to a book of hymns, basically, or a book of praise. Um, and the book of praise helps to shape our hymn books today. And what's, what's interesting, they did a comparative analysis of the categories that we find in Psalms and the categories that we find in our modern day hymn books. And you'll see some interesting corollaries here. So uh, the first column there are the Thanksgiving and Trust Psalms. So you can see that in the book of Psalms, it's the blue one on the left. There's roughly 17% of the Psalms that are Thanksgiving and Trust Psalms. The red column is from the Baptist hymnal. Any Baptists out there, former, former Baptists? All right, I see you in the back row. There we go. Yeah, me too. I'm in that category. Mark, you're there. I yeah, got you. Uh, so the Baptist hymnal has roughly 41% Thanksgiving and trust hymns. Uh, the Presbyterian, they're not quite as thankful. They've got about 28% in there. And then the, the Songs of Faith and Praise is the Church of Christ hymnal. Uh, and they're the highest. They're like 44%, which makes sense because they're the only true Christians. So they're very, very thankful for that. Just kidding. Just joking. Uh, then we go to the middle section, and, that, and that's what represents praise. And it's pretty even there. But when we get to the lament section, almost 40% of the Psalms is lament. Under 15% for the Baptist hymnal, just under 20%, the, the Presbyterians are a little, they're less thankful and a little more depressed, <laughs> my kind of people. Uh, and then at the Church of Christ, they're, they're kind of there with the, the Baptists when it comes to lament. You see a significant difference. Why does this matter? Why is this important? Well, what we do in church, what we do in worship services uh, is shaped by what we see in our hymns. Uh, that's not the only source, but that's part of it. So just by looking at the sheer numbers here, the Psalms is way more engaged in lament than, than we are in our worship services as a church. Okay? And there's a lot of reasons for that. Not everybody wants to come Sunday morning and just sing about how God has left them and where are you and then go eat lunch. That's just not, not very encouraging. Um, but the consequence of that is, is that there's people that sit in our pews and people that come to our church that inside are devastated and so deeply struggling. And our language doesn't reflect the language of their struggle. It doesn't reflect the challenges that they're facing and the things that they're going through. So a couple of basic categories of lament. There's corporate lament and there's individual lament or private lament. We're called and it's modeled in scripture for us to gauge, engage both of these. So corporately, a corporate lament is when we stand before God and say, God, we're crying out to you. We're asking you to move in our nation. We're asking you to move in our church, to move in our families. Hear our cries. You've made a promise to us. It's a corporate lament. Individual lament, some of like what we read in Psalms 88, says, God, where are you? I can't feel you. I can't sense you. I can't understand what you're doing in my life. 
Um, you, it feels like you've left me. It feels like you've abandoned me. That's an individual lament. And there's, when you look at the structure of laments in the Psalms, a couple categories rise to the surface. So a good lament includes these categories. Number one, they include an address of God. That's us crying out. They include some type of complaint. Right? We wouldn't be lamenting if we weren't unsatisfied with something. So we're complaining. There's a complaint there. God, you're, you're allowing us to be um, stretched and, and talked bad about and punished. And then there's a request. God, would you please move in some way in my life or in my family's life? And, and then there's a motivation. This is an interesting one because the psalmist often calls upon a reason why God should move in this situation. Sometimes it's because of God's character. God, because of your character, move in my life. Sometimes it's reminding God of the promises that God has made to his people. God, you promised that you would prosper us. You promised that you would protect us. Yet our, our, our nation is being destroyed. And then lastly, not all, but the majority of laments end in some kind of statement that exemplifies a confidence in God. So it goes through this whole cycle, different emotions, different thoughts, different feelings, and then oftentimes it will end in expressing a confidence in God. And that's most often done with a trust statement. Sometimes it's a thanksgiving statement. God, I'm thankful for your provision. But that's only about 16% of the time. The majority of the time, it's just a statement of trust. God, I'm choosing to trust you, even though I don't understand what you're doing in my life. God, I cannot see what in the world is going on or what tomorrow is going to bring, but I'm choosing to trust you because of who you are and because of what you have said. I'm choosing to follow and trust, even though I don't understand. So those are the basic components of lament. Now, it's important to note what lament is not. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why uh, we don't talk about it a lot, is there, there's some confusion about what true lament is, and there's an avoidance of wanting to not engage a faulty lament. So first of all, lament is not griping for the sake of griping, okay? So when you go home tonight and you're frustrated with your spouse, you can't say, I'm not griping at you. I'm just practicing the, the Christian engagement of lament. It's just, I'm lamenting about you. It doesn't work. It's not griping for the sake of griping. It's not without structure or end and it's not forever private. Pemberton, Pemberton writes, lament is not unrestrained speech that gives free reign to an emotional torrent of words. It is not venting for the sake of venting. Instead, lament is structured, controlled language that restores structure in a time of disorientation. I love the word disorientation. And when you look at uh, some of the Old Testament scholars, um, as they observe what was going on in the life of Israel, in the nation of Israel, um, the nation was experiencing time and time again seasons of disorientation. You know, in Oklahoma, we have tornadoes. And if you've lived through a tornado, which many of us have, when the tornado passes, there's this moment trying to figure out, where, is, where am I? Where is everything? The nation of Israel goes through this multiple times. They're disoriented. I thought that God was going to do this, he hasn't, and now we're lost. Now we're wandering in the desert. So when we think about why does this matter, um, why is it important for us to engage, we talked about the four things already, that it's biblical, that the faithful in Scripture engage lament, um, and that lament is a part of a journey towards healing, and that lament connects us to God. Here's some other reasons or some dangers 
that, that can occur if we don't engage lament, both individually and corporately. So number one, we become disconnected from God in the most difficult days of our lives. And this leads to isolation. When we get locked up and we have a, when we have a hard time expressing what we're going through or being honest with the things that we're um, faced with, oftentimes we begin to shut things down inside of us. And when we start to shut things down, maybe we stop sharing with those around us, with our friends, uh, with our pastors, um, we become isolated. And it may not be a physical isolation, it may be an internal isolation. And isolation is something that really impedes our ability to heal and our ability to grow. So when we don't engage lament, we run the risk of becoming disconnected from God. Secondly, uh, when we don't engage lament, it creates a disconnect between the Christian faith and the reality of life. Jesus worked in the reality of life. He worked in the real struggles of everyday people and the real challenges of everyday relationships, marriages, towns, cultures, um, moral issues, economic issues. Jesus dealt in reality. And it's our hope and our prayer that what we do in church, what we do as we walk out our Christian faith, that it, it, it engages reality as well. And when we don't have lament, we're missing a piece of the human experience. Don't, don't answer this question. How many of you, when you look back at your life, would say, man, my life went exactly like I planned it? I wanted you to not answer that question because if that's true, we're all gonna secretly resent you. So thanks for not identifying yourself. Most of us don't experience life when we look back it typically does, it didn't go exactly like we thought. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. So that's the reality of what it means to be human, and Jesus works in the reality of our humanity. Lament helps us stay connected to that and keep those two things connected. And then lastly, when we don't have lament, it paints an unrealistic picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. As I mentioned before, oftentimes the most faithful, the most obedient, experienced extreme challenges, experienced persecution. Their lives um, involved all kinds of different challenges that weren't easy. They didn't live comfortable lives. Richard Beck is a, an experimental psychologist out of Abilene Christian University, and he's written some on this, this topic as well. And he makes the comment, when we fail to give voice to complaint, doubt, and lament, these experiences become internalized and privatized. We begin to feel alone and isolated in our spiritual struggles. When we aren't able to give voice to the challenges that we're facing, the struggles that we're engaged in, we, we begin to stuff those and become isolated. As I mentioned at the beginning, I, I don't know if, if things are great in your life right now. They may be, and we praise God for that. But if they're not, I want you to know that Scripture gives us an incredible opportunity to be boldly honest with the God who loves us, who's big enough to handle our crazy thoughts, and we all have them, and that through the practice of lament, through the engagement of lament, it's our hope and prayer that you would begin to be able to reconnect and heal in that time of trial and struggle. One of the things that I've noticed in working with couples in marriages, when a couple gets closer when a couple begins to trust each other more, they, they begin to share more honestly. 
When a couple becomes closer and trusts each other, they actually begin to share harder things with each other. The closer we get to God, the more honest we're able to be because we trust him even more. When you look at a healthy relationship that's, that's founded and grounded in trust, you'll see the capacity and the, the ability to be really honest with each other. And I believe that that's what God invites us to as well. It's what we see in scripture. It's what we see in the Psalms. Jesus himself laments. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane before the cross, he's lamenting to God, God, is there any other way that you can accomplish this? Any other way other than the cross? If not, your will be done. One of the most, I think, encouraging and hopeful messages or verses to me in scripture. One, because it, it identifies that what Jesus did on earth was not his will. It was his father's will. What Jesus did is he walked in obedience to his father's will. And in doing that, there was times where he struggled. That's why we get that prayer. He struggled to follow his will, but he, he expressed that through lament. He expressed that through prayer. For the joy said before him, we know the rest of the story. He was obedient, obedient to death on a cross. And through that, God was glorified. Lament gives us an opportunity in the face of great trial, in the face of great struggle, to stay connected to God, to stay connected to others, instead of becoming isolated and alone in our despair. Lament is a part of the Christian faith. Lament is a part of the Christian life. And I invite you, I invite us, to begin practicing what it means to engage lament and experience the blessing that comes from the hope that is born out of great sorrow. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, it, it can be hard to understand and confusing to understand the different things that we face in life, the trials, the challenges. But Father, I'm just thankful that in your word and your scripture, in the book of Psalms, you've given us examples of faithful followers of you expressing great sorrow. Faithful followers of you asking, God, where are you? Thank you for that example. And I pray that you would give us more freedom to be honest with you with where we're at so that we might begin to heal the hurt, the wounds of our past, and experience the hope that is born out of lament. For lament leads to trust. Trust leads to praise. So Father, I just ask that as a church, we would be a people that lament well so that our hope might be, be grounded in the reality of who your son is. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to just sing a song over us tonight um, that just kind of, I feel like, tells my story of lament. As Todd spoke about, we all have times in our life, like the garden, where we wonder, God, why me? Why, why am I going through this? Why this situation? But God just says, surrender your life. Come to me on your knees and let me use you. And that's what the song talks about, is that how much we just want to know God, no matter our situations, and how we're just crying out for him to be in our lives. So let me sing this for you. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all, surrendering.
Amen. You know, the Psalms are, as Todd showed us, full of lament, full of that pouring out of what's in our heart, that transparency, if you will, to God. I like to think of it as taking things out of the darkness, out of the closets of our lives and bringing them into the light. And that's a painful thing, it's a hard thing. But it's not just our feelings of loss or sorrow. I wanna read you a Psalm, Psalm 51. This is David, and here he's pouring out his feelings to God, but his feelings are something that whether you're having a, a, a good life right now or you're having difficulty in life, you can sympathize with this. Listen to what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquities. Please cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always in front of me. The scripture knows and God knows that we need to talk about our sin. We need to talk about our feelings to God. And in the New Testament, there's this mechanism, if you will, and I want us to do this together tonight. And I want to ask you to make this a part of your prayer life, something that I think you can do every day. And for me, this is something I do at the end of every day, and it's called confession. In 1 John chapter 1, listen to the power of these words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not within us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. We need to confess. We confess our sorrow, we confess our joy. Our sorrow we call lament, our joy we call praise and we need to confess our sin. Why do we confess our sin? One of the primary reasons we confess our sin is so that we can feel the weight of our sin. I know what you're thinking, you think, wow, I really don't want to think about my sin. But here's my point to you, and here's what the New Testament tells us. If we don't feel the weight of our sin, we cannot experience the power of grace. It's not possible to have grace without an acknowledgement of our sin, our failing. We need to confess our sins to God. Because he doesn't know them? No, he knows them. We need to speak them. Because so often we hold on to, whether it's our sorrow, that's why lament is so important. We think, no, we can't speak those kinds of emotions to God. And as Todd told us, it's such a biblical thing to speak those emotions to God. But we also tend to want to hold on to our sins and say, I don't want to admit that before God. But we need to admit that. In confession, we basically preach the gospel to ourselves. We are preaching the gospel to ourselves every time we confess. And I want to show you that because we're going to walk through that together and individually. I want to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. You know, one of the reasons we don't do this is because it brings up feelings, like David's feelings, feelings of shame. And said, Lord, there were things I should have done I did not do. And Lord, there were things I did that I know were wrong to do. And it brings up these feelings that we just don't want to have. 
C.S. Lewis said this, and I'm going to paraphrase him. He said, it doesn't matter how you feel about being loved and forgiven or how you don't feel like you're loved or forgiven. He said, here's what it comes down to. Here's the reality, is when we know that there is sin in our lives, if we will repent and confess, then we can tell the devil to take a hike because God will deal with those sins when we confess them. It's been a tradition in the church. It's one that we've largely lost in some elements of the church, and that is a prayer of confession, a prayer of confession. And so right now I'd like for us to together pray this prayer of confession, and then I'd like to walk us through a little bit of an individual time of confession. And I confess to you now that I didn't know those words were going to be back there. Now, that's what we're going to pray. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, this week we continue to celebrate how you have raised Jesus from the dead. You have brought life to our dying and decaying world. You have begun to heal everything that is broken. You have begun to heal us. We confess that we forget that you are inviting us to share in your victory. We focus instead on our failures and on the failures of others. Because of this, we live as a despairing and cynical and critical people. Forgive us for forgetting this is your victory. Forgive us for trying to overcome by our own power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And this is something I'm going to suggest that you do every evening. It just takes, will take a couple of moments. But I want you to think not about all of your life and feel all of the weight of everything that, that you have want to lay before God. I want you to think about today. Think back and just remember your day. Remember the getting up and the going out. Whatever it was you did today, I want you just to think about the people that came across your path. And as you do that, I want you to think, even if it's a little bit painful, about the things that you have done today that you wish you had not done. Think about the things that you said today that you wish you might not have said. And as you think about these things, just speak them silently to God. Just lay them out into the light. Confess them. Think about the things today that were God appointments or opportunities that were missed. Maybe it's somebody in your family, somebody at your work, 
Maybe it's an encouraging word you wish you had spoken. And as you catalog the day, and you think about those things, some big, some small, about all these things that, that you may be disappointed in yourself. Maybe that's not the man or the woman of God that you want to be. And you want to turn away from those things. And you want to be honest with God and lay them out in confession to him. when we let go of all those things. Father, as we bring out from this day, just this one day, the things that we want to confess to you, we pray like your servant David did, search us. And if there's any crooked way inside of us, we pray that you would take it from us. Pray, Father, that you would give us the assurance to know that as we are faithful to confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us. And so, Father, we confess to you that we have not lived up to the calling that you have called us. And we lay these things out before you for Christ's sake and in Christ's name. Amen. It's when we feel the truth and the weight of our sin that we actually know the gospel. And here's the second part of this. Jesus said, he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, we all have a lot to be forgiven for, but we don't always acknowledge it. And it makes us very stingy with our love. It makes us very, very stingy in taking grace from God. And so the broader you open that up, and I pray you'll do that at the end of every day, just a couple of moments to, to clear the books, if you will, with God, to lay out those things, to think through your day a little bit and confess. And then remember this, and this is where the good news comes from. Once we have a feeling for our shortcomings, our transgressions, our sins before God, then we understand grace. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 8. Paul spends seven chapters of Romans talking about sin before he talks about grace. He said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He said, who could bring a charge or an accusation against us it is God who justifies. Who is he that could condemn us? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is sitting at the right hand of God. You know, those things that we keep in secret, 
Those are the things that Satan loves because he's going to bring them to the light. And he's going to bring them out into the light and accuse us with them. But this says, who can accuse us? Because God already knows. We've already confessed. He's already forgiven. And we've let that burden go. We tend to want to hold on to our failures and our sins. I don't know what it is about us. But God said, if you'll confess those, I'll take them. And you can let them go. And so the church, just like the prayer of confession, has often prayed a corporate prayer of the assurance of our pardon. So let's pray this together. Hear the good news. Who is in the position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks be to God. I'd like to urge you to go through that every day, the confession, and then remembering there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm going to ask Caleb and guys to, to lead us again through this song, It Is Well With My Soul, and I hope that you feel that deeply. They're not just words that we sing. We know that we have a clean slate with God. Why don't we all stand together as we believe this, and let's sing together. When peace like a
When you came in tonight, you got a little card. And if you didn't get one, I'd like you to get one on the way out. And on this card is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to put that by your bedside table and when you finish your day so that it's the last thing that you will see. And then take a moment and confess to God your hurts, your sorrows, your anguish, your sins, or omissions. Maybe there are things in the past that you're holding on to. It's time to let them go, to confess. Maybe there are things in this day that need to be thought through so that I might walk a little more like Jesus tomorrow. Confess those things and then let them go because they're forgiven. And then go to sleep every day, every night, with a clean slate before God at peace and see if you don't feel the peace of God and be able to wake up every day and say, it is well with my soul. Amen? Amen. Next week, we end our series and we save the best for last because one of the great things in the Psalms is celebration. So you want to be sure to invite a friend because next week, we're going to talk about celebrating as God's people. Not only can we lament, we can also celebrate. And so we're going to end our our study next week a little early and you can just leave your kids in the nursery and then we're going to have a little surprise for you and we're going to celebrate together we'll see you next week thanks